The Coach's Roundtable is brought to you by Between the Lines. Between the Lines offers online training with current minor league affiliates from the comfort of your own home through online technology. With their coaching, watch your skills and money increase due to no longer needing to drive to get training. For more information, go to betweenthelines.pro. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Coaches Roundtable Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Credo, and today I've got two phenomenal, well, well-rounded, a um, lot of experience between these two guys. Both of them coach at the high school level. But enough from me. Let's get to know our coaches, and we'll start with you first, Coach Canan. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are now. Sure. Uh, I know we've been on before, but I'll go as quick as I can so we don't take up too much time. But this is my uh, 18th year as a high school coach. I uh, started way back at uh, Euless Trinity. From there, I went to Irving High, both there as a varsity assistant. Got my first head job at Carrollton Ranchview up in the uh, Dallas-Fort Worth area. And then I was a head coach at Irving MacArthur for nine years before moving down to Davenport High School here in the San Antonio area for the last two years, helped open that school. And someone who's been on the podcast as well as Coach Canan. Coach Art was one of my first episodes I ever did. Um, go back and listen to it. Check out all the things he said now. Can't wait to hear what he's got this time. But Coach Art, refresh us on uh, what you've been up to lately and just how you got to where you are now. Uh, this is um, year 26 as a head coach, uh, year number 30 um, in education total. Uh, I'm currently the head baseball coach at Centennial High School in Burleson, Texas. Uh, I coached uh, with the Evil Shield Canes, Texas, uh, North Texas group last summer for travel baseball, and I was the uh, South Region 14U uh, NTIS coach uh, at the USA Baseball National Team Identification Series in August in Cary, North Carolina. Um, before we really get into the questions, I really um, I might have asked you guys this before, but you never know, new things may pop up. So we're going to ask you some questions just about baseball experiences that you guys have had on the field as coaches uh, or as players. So I'll start with you first, this coach round, uh, Coach Art. Tell us about the wildest, craziest, most memorable moment that you've personally had on a ball field before. This is tough. Um, there's been so many. I'd say one of the wildest is probably a a negative um, event, you know, for our team. But probably the wildest thing was uh, in the first round of the playoffs in 2019. We're up 14 to two, going into the bottom of the seventh in game one, and the opposing team was pinch hitting for their starters. It was 14 to two in the bottom of the seventh, and. They were pinch hitting for their for their guys. We're at the bottom of their lineup, and um, I'd taken my starting pitcher out. He'd thrown about seventy pitches, and he was cruising. But I went ahead and took him out of the game. I didn't think there was any need to keep him in the game with a twelve run lead. And they started getting a few hits here and there. We made an error. We walked a guy, and before I knew it, it was fourteen to nine. And I went ahead and put my starting pitcher back in, but I think he had checked out mentally already. Um, and when he got back in there, he wasn't that effective. And I decided to go get to try to stall and get our, it was going to be our game two starter, just bring him in to try to clear, ready to come into the game. And, it, you know, he's a starting pitcher, so he needed more time to, to get ready. 
and uh, we couldn't get him in in time, and we we made a bad pitch on an 0-2 count, and kid hit a three-run homer to walk it off. They scored 13 on the bottom of the seventh, and um, you know I I guess I took my foot off the gas by taking my starter out because he was throwing a three hitter. So uh, you know I, I'll just go and apologize right now to everybody that we're going to play this year that I'm not taking the foot off the gas. So you know that's. We're not, I'm not going to let up. We're not going to let up at all, ever. You know, unless it's a team that can't defend themselves, then that you know that that's obviously different. But you know, I'm just not going to take my foot off. I've learned my lesson. I had to learn it the hard way, but sometimes that's what you got to do. I mean, that's what kids do every day, right? Uh, yes, that's absolutely what kids do. That's one of the struggles as a coach is reminding kids that they got to put the nail in the coffin, as my old high school basketball coach used to say. You used to yell at us when we would uh, not take advantage or win a game by more points or blow a lead and say, you guys just refuse to put the nail in the coffin. Oh, man, brings back good memories right there. Uh, what about you, Coach Canan? Tell us about your most crazy, wildest, most memorable moment as either a player or a coach on the field. Well, I, I'm glad I had time to think about it. I, I was trying to actually think of some time that uh, when Art and I played against each other, if we had anything crazy, but I couldn't think of anything. But I would say uh, it was bases loaded, uh, seventh inning, you know, trying to close out a game. And unfortunately, the negative side for us, too, we had a bases loaded backdoor pick that we were doing from the uh, windup. We were up by a run trying to, with two outs, thought we had the guy. Pitcher stepped off and tossed it into center field. They ended up scoring the winning run from second base. On a bang-bang play at the plate where we thought he got him out, and the ball kicked out and rolled you know, out from underneath the catcher when the umpire originally called him out, and then he had to change the save. So we went from you know, trying to win the game with a backdoor pick to being happy that we were tied and able to play an extra inning to having to walk away with a loss. So that's probably mine. It's interesting that you guys both bring up moments in which you lost because as great as phenomenal as coaches as you guys are, as a lot of people follow you guys on Twitter and have a lot of respect for what you guys do, even you guys as great coaches have those moments where you're just flustered. And it's nice to know from, you know, even a coach like myself who's not as experienced and, you know, doesn't have the resume you guys have to know that you're human too and you make the same mistakes. To know that, you know, luck doesn't always fall on the side of the person who's, you know, more coached, most disciplined, more professional, that those things can happen to even the best of us. And it's nice to be reminded of that sometimes. Um, but so my next question this round, I'll start with you first, Coach Canan. Tell us about the greatest performance you've witnessed first, firsthand on a field. Uh, probably was, um, I had a kid named Jake Lyons. He's pitching with the Orioles organization. And uh, I was when I was at MacArthur, we matched up with Highland Park uh, in the playoffs. He was a perennial power here in Texas, normally state ranked. And we were just kind of starting to turn the culture around and, and play better. And uh, I think they were number one in the state or number two in the state at the time. And uh, Jake was a, a junior and struck out 19 of 21, and the other two outs he recorded on bunts that he fielded and threw the guy out on his own. So we actually won one to nothing on a botched suicide squeeze on their part. It was a suicide squeeze where we popped popped the ball up and their pitcher bobbled it. I think he just wasn't used to playing in close games because they had been just destroying people, and he bobbled it, and we ended up scoring the the winning run uh, to win one to nothing. So um, probably a performance there by Jake. Wow, that's incredible. And what about you, Coach Art? Tell us about the like the most memorable, greatest performance you've seen firsthand on a ball field. It's it, there's probably there's two kids I'd have a really hard time choosing between. 
Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and choose a kid named Chris Gittens, who made his major league debut this year with the Yankees at first base. He played for me at Sherman High School in Sherman, Texas, and we were playing Royce City. Um, at Royce City is a district game. There's another future big leaguer in that game for Royce City, uh, Taylor Hearn. He's a left-handed pitcher for the Rangers now. Uh, Chris threw a 67-pitch, seven-inning perfect game. Uh, we won one to nothing. We only had one hit, and it was a double that Chris hit uh, off the right center field fence. They had, I guess they had walked a guy in front of him, and he just, it was, I mean, it was probably like the, it, it had to be the top of the fourth. And, I mean, he just, he got a pitch he could handle and hit at the right center field. And, and our, I, there was no doubt in my mind I was sending our kid because I wasn't sure if we were going to get another guy on base because, you know, their guy was dealing too. And I just, I, I knew from when the ball was hit, I was sending him. And he, he barely beat the throw to the plate. Uh, but Chris was, that's one of the that's that's probably the best pitching performance I've ever seen because Roy City was really good, and uh, and he you know sixty seven pitch, you know perfect game. I mean it's just it was it was amazing. Wow, that's incredible. Both stories incredible. So here's a question that I'm curious as as you guys both lead your programs in a phenomenal way, both great men of culture, building culture, great men of respect, great resumes. I'm going to start with this question with you first, Coach Art. If you could have dinner with any coach in any sport, living, dead, whatever, who would you want to have dinner with, and what are the kind of questions you'd want to ask him to learn about? Well, Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi that's who I'd want to have dinner with, Vince Lombardi. I just want to talk with him. I, I, I don't think I'd have anything, any pre-prepared questions. I just want to... Uh, just talk, um, you know, leadership and organization and, uh, just, I, I, I would just love to pick his brain, just kind of sit there informally and, and, and pick his brain. Uh, I, I think he'd be, he'd be at the top of my list for sure. And what about you, coach Canan? What coach would you want to talk to? And then what would, do you think you'd be wanting to ask him? Uh, probably be Augie for me. Um, I had a, obviously the pleasure of talking to him just in passing a few times, but, you know, growing up in Austin, going to all the games when he was a coach and just seeing how he built the relationship with kids, um, you know, outside of the game of baseball and how he went about teaching life lessons. Um, I think that'd be a guy I'd love to sit down with and, and spend the evening going through just like Art said, not necessarily baseball questions or coaching questions, but just questions about life and how he connected his players and you know, uh, how he molded his program to make sure when they left, they were more successful than when they got there uh, in baseball and in life. I'm glad we went down this path in leadership because that's kind of some of the questions I want to ask you guys, particularly for myself. And so I'll start with you the first this round, Coach Canan. What do you think are some important qualities of leaders and leadership? Wow, that's a that's an in-depth question. Um I think the word leadership is something that's kind of thrown around a lot. I mean, again, we would talk about culture and everything else, but uh, to me, you know, true leaders are the guys that you don't have to constantly, um, you know, monitor to make sure they're doing what they're asked to be done. Uh, and more importantly, they're the guys that you think 
that, you know, when you're not around, they could lead the program for you without you being there. The best leaders, in my opinion, I mean, you have your vocal guys and there's nothing wrong with that. You can be a vocal leader um, as long as you're backing it up, you know, with what you do on the in work when no one's watching. But leaders to me are the guys that, um, you know, you can count on to help bring along the younger guys to help make sure that everything that you're wanting done is done right inside your program. And the most successful teams I've been around, you know, are the ones that have 15 or 16 or 17 coaches, however many kids you're carrying. Uh, because like all of us, we're, you know, maybe you might have one assistant. If you're real lucky, you have two, but that's still not going to be a one-to-one relationship and you can't watch everybody work. Um, you know, even when they're walking the hallways, you know, making sure the kids are doing what they're supposed to, whether it's wearing their IDs or not wearing hats, you know, sitting in the front row, um, maintaining the 80 or higher average. Um, you know, we've split them up before where they've had teams or, or we call them boats, um, kind of from the digs uh, philosophy stuff. And, you know, we have one kid in charge of a group of four kids and those are the kids who kind of rise to the top and, and are leaders of your program. So leadership to me is more about the kids that you can count on um, to, to carry out the vision of what you're hoping the program will look like. And what about you, Coach Art? What are your thoughts? Uh, I think I think leadership definitely starts with me. Um, I think I need to be the the, the model for what they want to be. I, I, I need to be living the culture um, and leading from the front uh, with in regards to the, the culture that I want in my program. Uh, they, I need, they need to see me live it every day uh, and know that I'm not just, I'm not just talking the talk. I'm walking the walk. Uh, we, you know, they, uh, since I've, since I've, I've really put an emphasis on that, for for me, uh, the last three or four years, and and the results I've seen from that uh, have been have been really really good in regards to the kids stepping up and and pretty much modeling my behavior um, in the school building, um, on, on the field. You know, there's going to be times on the field when we when we all lose our composure and. And, and I tell them, you know, I, I get it when you lose your composure, but then you've got to, you've got to be able to refocus and get back in the game, the next pitch, and you've got to be able to flush it and, and put whatever, whatever negative, negative situations happened and, and put it behind you because the game's going to go on and, and you've got to go on too. Uh, you can't, you can't be stuck on a, on a call that was made, you know, two innings ago, you, you've got to go on and, and and I know there there's times when I I need to be better and and I need to I definitely need to model that behavior uh, d- during a game, so so they'll keep they'll keep their head and and keep their focus on 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 what we're trying to accomplish in that game. Um, but I, I I'm definitely a big believer in leading from the front, uh, getting in there in the weight room and, and working out with them and showing them that I'm I'm not going to ask them to do anything that 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 I haven't or, or wouldn't do uh, right alongside them. Love those answers. So one of the aspects of leadership, particularly in high school programs, is dealing with parents. So I'm curious on what are some effective ways you guys have learned to deal with parents? In this round, I'll start with you first, Coach Art. I, I try to maintain a, a really good line of communication with them. Uh, you know, they can, they can email me, they can, uh, direct message me on social media. Um, 
I mean, a lot of them have my cell number. They can text me, call me. Um, if they have a question, um, you know, I'm not trying to hide anything from them. Uh, I'm, I'm there for their kids to try to make their kid not just the best baseball player, but the best young man they can be. And and I, I really want them to be a, a positive partner uh, in, in that because, you know, how, how much time do I really have with them during the day? I don't have that much. I don't have them. It's not like I have them for 12 hours a day. You know, I've got them a maximum of two and a half hours a day when we're in season and when we're out of season, I really only have them, you know, 45 minutes a day. So, you know, it's, it's gotta be, it's, it's gotta be, for me, it's gotta be a, a, a positive partnership uh, w- with the parent and, and, the, you know, the parent needs to understand that it, it's all about the kid. It's not about them. It's not about me. It's all about the kid. And we've got to do what's best for, for the kid to make him the best he could be both on and off the field. And what about you, Coach Canan? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's right up the same alley. Number one, you got to have a, a great line of communication. Um, you know, I try to tell parents I'm probably going to over-communicate to you just because I know high school boys, uh, most of the time, are going to come home and you're going to say, hey, how was practice today? Or, hey, what's going on? And they'll say, you know, fine or yes and give you one word answer. So anything I tell the boys in terms of schedules or anything like that, we make sure we put out on, uh, you know, our Sports U app or Twitter or Facebook or whatever social media platform there is. Um, you know, when we have our first meeting uh, at the beginning of the year, every year, I tell them that, you know, really I'm an extension of, of what you've got your son to so far. So I want to make sure we're on the same page trying to help him, you know, continue to grow um, and, and support them, whether that's baseball related or not. Uh, just like Art said, you know, my door is always open. Communication's there. I think some of the things, you know, maybe different. We talk about, you know, behavior in, in the stands and how to treat umpires. We talk about behavior uh, when they get in the car. Um, you know, cause one of the things I heard a long time ago is if the first thing they do is get in the car and they start complaining about, you know, the program or the coach or whatever, then they think it's okay to do the same thing. Now I'm not naive enough to think that that doesn't happen, but just put it out there let them know that's kind of where we, you know, where we want the program to go. Um, you know, anytime a parent calls, calls me and says, Hey, I want to come in and talk to you about my son. I said, absolutely no problem, but your son's going to be there with me. I want to make sure that the communication is open, that it's not them going behind um, you know, someone's back trying to say this or that, or vice versa, that what the kid told their parents is actually what happened. So um, anytime I meet with a parent, I always want the kid involved. Uh, you know, we do fall meetings, uh, just got done with our fall meetings, spring meetings as well. And I want the parents there um, just so that we're all on the same page. Um, you know, one thing I learned a long time ago from my father and from many other coaches is the more honest you are with them, uh, the easier it's going to be in the long haul and the more they're going to respect you. So I try to make sure in those meetings the parents understand where we're at, you know, not try to tell them something that's not actually true. So when they come back in the spring and they come back in the fall, they kind of know where we are and what we need them to work on to get better. One of the aspects as well as dealing with parents is you're dealing with summer programs. You're dealing with kids who the summer program they play for, the coach they may play for is not on the same page as maybe you are. Maybe it doesn't do things the same way. Maybe expectations are different. The standard is different. Even maybe the way they teach the swing, the pitching mechanics is different. So I'm curious at a place where you guys work with big schools, with big-time players, where they're getting instruction from a lot of different places. They're, the players are, and parents are spending a lot of money on a lot of different instruction and coaching. I'm curious on how you guys as the head coach deal and work through that aspect of dealing with players. And I'll start with you first, coach, this round, Coach Canan. 
What are your thoughts? Sure. I mean, uh, I'm in a place now where almost all my kids do play select. Um, but the main thing there is, again, just open lines of communication. Again, going back to that meeting, I tell my parents all the time, you know, hey, whoever your select coach is, give them my cell phone number. Um, you know, we all use different verbiage, but most of us are probably trying to say the same thing. So I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You know, listen, I'm not afraid at all of kids going to play select ball. That's, that's the way they're going to get noticed a lot of times in the summer, et cetera. I do everything I can on my end to help them with that. And I think, you know, that's one of my jobs as a head coach is to help them with the process. But the bottom line is I know that they're going to play with a program in the summer and most falls uh, and get more games in with them than they are with me. So a lot of times I ask them to, you know, send me um, text to their swing, let me know how they're doing, ask them to send me their summer ball schedule, fall ball schedule. I try to get out. You know, right now I don't coach a select team just because I have young children and I'm trying to spend as much time with them in the summer. But I've done that in the past too. So, you know, 99% of the guys out there coaching teams are great guys that really know the game and they want the best for the kid too. Uh, I just try to make sure I get those numbers and reach out and text the coaches. Or if I know him personally, say, hey, I know, you know, this young man's playing for you. He's one of mine. Let me know how it's going. If there's anything I can do to help, et cetera. Uh, again, just have an open line of communication there, I think is key. And, you know, the main thing we talk about there is, you know, select ball. Uh, you're going to play all the time because there's only, you know, 12 people and you're paying paying money to play the game in high school ball. Uh, there's possibly 18 on the roster. So it's just a different construction. Um, I think the younger players, the freshmen especially, have a hard time with that transition. Uh, but when they get older, they kind of understand a little bit more. So I'm not afraid of, of the, the select ball organization. I know some coaches, you know, shy away from it, but I think it, it just helps to improve us. And again, it's just a matter of having open communication with the player and the coach and the parent. So we're all speaking the same language. Uh, so they don't have a, a swing that changes over the summer. And if they are different, I'm not trying to pretend like I know everything. A lot of times I'll say, well, what is he telling you? Why is he telling you that? And then by the time we get down to it, it's just a word he's saying versus a word I'm saying. And we're both saying the same thing. And what about you, Coach Art? How do you deal with that aspect of working with players? Well, I, I tell them I don't care what organization they play for um, as long as they're getting to play. Uh, my my only concern is that they're playing against good competition and that they're not playing in watered-down tournaments where they're not facing very good pitching and they're not getting challenged. Um, uh, that, but, I, you know, I can't control who they play for, and I, I wouldn't even try to do that. Um, it's like Coach Canan said, it, it's about communicating. It, Effective communication can solve 99% of a coach's problems. Uh, you know, the team I coached last summer, I, I reached out. I didn't get I didn't get a chance to talk to every every high school coach whose kid I had, but I, I reached out and, and got in contact with as many of them as I could and gave them updates and just told them, hey, if you ever got a question, you want to know anything, just let me know. Is there something that you want me to to zero in on with them and 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 reinforce what you're coaching and teaching, just let me know, and, I'll, and I'd be happy to do that. Um, and, and, you know, the high school coaches, they, they definitely appreciate that, and they also know I'm, I'm one of them too, so that that always helps. Uh, that always helps me. Um, you know, in, in regards to my players at, at my school, uh, probably a, a fair amount of, of their coaches have reached out to me and, and, and you know, given me updates on uh, – on, on my guys and you know though i'm really appreciative of all those coaches that do that um 
you know, I, I tell them, you know, hey, you know, we're on the same team. You know, we're, we're trying to help these kids uh, become the best, you know, best players they can be. And, and I'm not going to, I'm definitely not going to work against them. And, you know, my only, my biggest concern with that whole system is pitchers uh, finding time to rest their arms. Um, you know, during the fall, I don't do anything with our pitchers. I don't. We don't throw bullpens. We I, I let them do their pitching um, with their with their fall uh, select team or travel team, um, and, and I I make it really clear to the parents and, and to the kids that you know November first you need to get off the mound and you need to rest your arm uh, and stay off the mound. You know, let's work on. You know, we, we usually start our throwing program about that time or right right before that time. Um, and, and I explained to the parents and the kids, look, you, you have to rest from max effort pitching. You, you have to rest for, you need to rest from that. Um, and November, December is going to be when we're going to rest. Um, when we come back in January here, you know, I, I've, they've already, they already know what, what our, what our throwing program is, when we're going to start throwing bullpens. When we start playing inter squads, when we start scrimmaging other schools, that's all I give that to them. It's all in black and white, and and I explain to them that the season's going to go on with you or without you, and if you don't take care of your arm, and it's their responsibility to take care of their arm, if you don't take care of your arm and you're injured, you know we're not going to delay the season for you. We're going to go on. This is what we're doing. I let you do what you want all summer. And all fall until November first. That's when you need to get with our program. And, and we're going to go. You know, January twenty first is our first day of, of team team practice. And you know, we're gonna we're we're gonna hit the ground running. And and I want everyone to be a part of that. I don't want anybody hurt. I want I want all of our kids that have put in all the work they put in all fall. I want them to be a part of it. Uh, but but if you're not going to take care of your arm, you, you have to understand that there are consequences. And and uh, you can't get on the field when you're injured. So, you know, once again, it's it's all about it's all about communication and being clear with what we're doing. And here are our expectations. And and you know, I can't control what they do outside of school, but I can sure control what's going to happen in the spring. And uh, you know, if you're injured, you, you, you're not going to play. I mean, you just you just can't. You can't you can't play when you're injured. So you know, take care of your take care of your arm and 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 you know, by all means, go play in the summer or the fall. But you know, at, at some point, you know, our program is going to come first, and it's going to go on with or without you. Great stuff, coaches. This round, I'll start with you first, Coach Art. And this question is this: I saw a tweet on. Uh, Twitter, of course, and it was an athletic director talking about questions that he asks head coaches during interviews. One of the questions just stuck out to me for some reason. I really liked it, and so I'm stealing it, as all good coaches uh, learn to do is that everything they do is mostly stolen from other people. Um, You learn to be a master thief. But the question is this. How do you guys install discipline in your programs? And I'll start with you first, Coach Art. Well, you know, for me, it's, you know, we have, we have a standard and this is going to be the standard. This is the bar and I'm not going to lower it. And you're either going to live up to the standard or, or you're not going to be around. Um, 
you know, I, I tell our guys, um, and, and it's a page out of uh, Matt Dex's uh, Pack Mentality playbook, uh, you know, we're, we're an elite unit. And when I say we're an elite unit, we're not just elite on the field. You've got to be elite in, in the weight room. You've got to be elite in the classroom. You've got to be elite in the community. You need to be elite at home. And, you know, playing baseball, it's not a right. It's a privilege. And it's something you have to earn. And if you're not going to come to practice or you're going to skip the weight room or you're going to disrespect your teachers or you're going to bully classmates or bully teammates, then there's not going to be a spot for you. And if if you keep if you stick to that standard, then, hey, 99 percent of the kids, they're going to meet the standard and, and they're going to exceed it. Um. But, you know, what, whatever, whatever you allow to happen in your program is going to happen, both positive and, and negatively. So, you know, to me, it's, it's, it's the standard. They know what the standard is. Um, I have to model that. And, and it, it, it's really clear. The, the expectations uh, and, and the standard is really clear, and, and they know. And if, if you make choices not to live up to the standard, well, then you're not going to be around. And, you know, I know this is going to sound probably mean and, and maybe even a little politically incorrect, but that's why we have PE classes. That's what you're entitled to. You, 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 have to, you have to get a PE credit, and everyone can get the PE credit, but not everyone gets, not everyone gets to be on the baseball team. You know, I'll get a parent or a kid, you know, well, my son wants to join the baseball team this year, and, and, I, and I have to I immediately correct it. Well, no, you don't get to join. You have to earn it. You have to try out. And you have to earn it, and you have to live up to our standard. Uh, you don't just get to join the baseball team. You can join the chess club. Um, you can join future business leaders of America, but you don't get to join the baseball team. That's that's not how we operate. That is awesome, Coach. I love that answer. You're absolutely right. It's not a privilege. It's something you earn. But what about you, Coach Canan? How do you guys install discipline into your program? I don't know if I can set it much clearer than Art did. I mean, you, you have to set your standard and not be willing to adjust from there. So, you know, going back to, I guess, the way you worded the question, it was an interview. The first thing I would ask in that question is, here's what I'm going to do from my standpoint of how I'm going to run my program, the discipline I'm going to set in the classroom uh, and the field and make sure that the athletic director is going to back me up. Um, you know, I'm at a school now where most of my athletes play multiple sports. We're a 4A school in Texas. So, you know, um, you don't have, you know, 1,500 people or 2,000 people. So a lot of our kids play multiple sports. And so each coach has their own definition of what that looks like. Uh, so I know, you know, for my kids, sometimes they come over to baseball. Uh, it's different standard than maybe what another program has. And they have to understand that if they don't reach the standard that we're set in place, it doesn't matter that if you made the other team, you're not going to be a part of our program. So kind of going back to what Art said, I mean, you've just got to set them high. And I 100% agree with the lead from the front thing. I tell my kids all the time, I'm not going to ask you to do something that I wouldn't be willing to do myself, just like Art said. And, you know, like we have a no cursing policy in my program. And if you do so, you got to get out there and, and push a pipe. And about once or twice a year, I'll let one slip. And I get out there and get a pipe and I go push the thing. And uh, it's hard for kids to not understand that you're serious about it when they know that you're going to get up and do the exact same thing you're asking them to do. Absolutely. I love that. 
Another question I got for you guys, you guys have both been coaching for, you know, quite some time. You guys both have really impressive resumes. And so my question to you is this. One, what, how have you changed from when you first started coaching to where you are now? And then my second question is, what advice would you give a coach who's just starting out in the baseball coaching business? And I'll start with you first this round, Coach Canan. Well, I think like all of us, uh, when I started, I thought I knew everything. Uh, I was chasing wins, and I thought that was the most important thing. And, um, you know, even though I was grew up around a coach, and the whole reason I got into coaching was because I saw grown men come back and tell my father what an impact he made, I still thought, well, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to win every game I ever coach. And I quickly realized that that's not what it's about. That's not what fills your cup up. I mean, don't get me wrong. I hate losing, you know, as much as the next guy. But at the end of the season, the season's over and I get to do it all over again. You know, I get, I get to start over again with a new group. But the, the lessons and the life lessons that they learn when they leave that place, that sticks with them forever. That's really what it's about. And if it's not about that, in my opinion, you're in the wrong, you're in the wrong profession. Um, you know, the wedding invitations and the, and the birth announcements that now that I've been doing for a while, I'm starting to get mean way more than me than a trophy that we're going to hold up at the end of the year or say we won so many games. So, you know, that would be my main advice. Number one, if you're young, listen and pay attention to the guys around you that have done it for a while and pick their brains. Take what you like from each coach that you work for and what you don't like. So when it's your turn to step into a program, you have a clear idea of what you want. Um, and just don't, don't chase wins to chase wins. Uh, you're trying to chase relationships. And in my experience, and I'm sure Art's going to say the exact same thing I'm about to say, the teams that you have those relationships with, the wins take care of themselves. Because they know you have their back, you know they have your back, and that's what it's about. Uh, and they kind of, winning kind of takes care of itself. The teams when I was younger, when I was just all about the wins, a lot of times, you know, when push came to shove, we got shoved. Because we were all pulling our own rope instead of pulling together. That's really good. What about you, Coach Art? How have you changed as your coaching career has progressed? And then what advice would you give to another young coach who's just starting? Yeah, if I could go back 25 years ago and watch myself coach, I would probably have to walk up behind you know, that guy 25 years ago slapped him on the back of the neck and uh, tell him, man, you are doing it all wrong. Um, I, I, I could not agree with, with Ryan. Uh, I couldn't agree with him more. Uh, when I was a young coach, I was chasing, not only was I chasing wins, I was chasing the next best job and, uh, and moved from school to school every two years. And... Uh, you know, it, it, I, I was making and building relationships along the way. And, and I have relationships with, with kids that I've coached at every single school. Um, you know, even the ones I was only at for two years, but, um, you know, now, you know, at the, the point I am now, it's, you know, and, and Ryan's absolutely correct. Winning is a byproduct of, of everything, of everything you do. And it's and it's a byproduct of of those relationships that that you're building. It's about trust. It's about you know them trusting me, me trusting them, and then you know then and it's faith. You got it. It it turns into you know taking a leap of faith and and trusting those guys and them 
hopefully taking that same leap of faith and, and trust in me. And, and there's risk involved in that. You know, there, there's risk that you can get your heart broken just like any other relationship in life. But man, if you don't take that risk, then you're missing out on, on some great relationships you're going to make with, with the kids that, that you're coaching. Um, you know, if I didn't take the risk with my wife, I wouldn't have this great woman beside me. Uh, you know, I, I took a risk with, you know, and, and told her how I felt about her and, and man, I'm lucky I did. And th- because the, the greater the risk, the greater the reward. And, uh, you, you've, you know, you, you've got to do that. You've got to, you've got to put yourself out there as a coach and, and let them see you be vulnerable. Um, you know, let, let, don't be afraid to, to, to see them. Don't be afraid to let them see you cry and get emotional. And, you know, when they see that you're vulnerable like that, I mean, they're, they're going to love you even more. And, I don't mean to, you know, not, you know, you don't want to put on an act, but it's, I mean, they, when they see how vulnerable you really are, they, they connect with you even more. Uh, That's, that's what I've, that's been my experience and, you know, trust, faith and risk, they all go together and yeah, those, those relationships, they're, 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 they're great. And, And I agree with Ryan, those when when you when you really put it out there with them, um, that that's to me that's just the best thing. It, it's definitely the best thing, and it's easier to see that now, thirty years in, than you know twenty five years ago. Um, that's just a lot of old age and, and wisdom speaking right now. You guys really did a great job breaking down discipline, breaking down leadership, breaking down leading from the front. But I'm going to try to transition it, going more into the baseball topic. And I'll start with you first this round, Coach Art. And my question is this. One, what do you think culture is? And two, how do you lead your program to get the culture that you desire? Everybody's got a role in the program. And, you know, some guys are starters, some guys are backups, some, some pitchers are starting pitchers, some pitchers are relief pitchers. Uh, everyone's got a role. You know, some guys, it's going to be their job to steal signs, you know, keep a chart during a game. And it's my job to make every kid and every job seem like it's the most important job on the team. And, you know, obviously everyone wants to play. Everyone wants to be a starter. Everybody wants to hit in the three hole. But only one guy's going to hit in the three hole. Only one guy's going to be our, our Tuesday night starting pitcher. Um, you know, and, and to the rest of the guys, you know, you've got you've to work while you wait for that opportunity. And if, if you keep working, when you get that opportunity, you're going to be ready. You're going to be prepared. Um, if, and I can't promise you that you're going to succeed when you get that opportunity. But, but I can promise you that if you're not working while you're waiting, if you're just sitting there feeling sorry for yourself, when you get that opportunity and your number gets called, you're not going to be ready. And you're going to be afraid and you're going to fail. And, and, and eventually, you know, and it happened to me as a player, those opportunities, they, they stop, they stop coming your way. Um, and that's just the nature of the game. Uh, it, it's going to catch up to you at some point. Uh, 
But, you know, to me, it, when everyone feels like their role is important, no matter what it is, uh, that's that's when, to me, that's when culture is uh, at, at its strongest. And what about you, Coach Canan? I mean, I again, once again, I think Art kind of said exactly what I was going to say. Culture is a byproduct of everybody pulling on the same rope, in my opinion, um, and holding each other accountable, you know. Um, I think culture, again, is a, is a hot word we use all the time. But, you know, going back to what we talked about with how do you lead that? Well, in my opinion, when you play a team, um, they take on the role and the culture that the coach set in. So if you're allowing things to happen, a lot of times it shows on the field. If you don't allow things to happen, then that also shows on the field. Going back to what we talked about earlier, if you set that bar at a certain spot and you don't lower that bar, then that bar is your culture. You know, they can reach that or not. And I 100% agree with, uh, you know, everybody's got to be involved and have a role on the team. Because if not, you're going you're gonna, to, you know, fall apart from the inside out. Um, you know, like we talked about earlier, you can't be with the kids all the time. So, you know, they're obviously going to talk when they're not around. They're going to have their little group, you know, messages and text and, you know, whatever they're going to do. But if your culture is solid, everyone understands their role, then they know that those side conversations are about, what can we do to get better or where can we improve instead of, oh, coach did this or why aren't, why am I not doing this, et cetera. So, um, you know, one thing we do, and I know we've talked about this before, uh, go, kind of going back to what Art said about, you know, working while you wait is we chart everything in my program. Um, and that's a way where we can show the kids, you know, in black and white, like, hey, look, here's where you still need to improve. Here's where, you know, other guys are ex- exceeding and striving. Uh, and, and it's just there in front. So they understand that, well, I haven't maybe, you know, in Texas, at least we have a non-district and a district schedule and we get a district that determines if we can play in the playoffs. So, you know, non-district, you're getting a lot more opportunities than you do in district play, but just cause you're not getting those opportunities doesn't mean those opportunities are not presenting themselves on a regular basis every day at practice. So I think that's kind of, you know, for me, the big, the big thing that we've changed or I've changed, uh, in, in terms of how we run practice and how we show, how valuable each rep is to players. That's kind of the direction we've gone uh, in my program the last, I don't know, five or six years. So we're going to transition more into the baseball conversation. And I'll start with you first this round, Coach Canan. My question is this. If I had the opportunity to bring you to the ABCA convention to present, what do you think you'd want to present on? And then give us a little snippet of what that presentation would look and sound like. Well, if I ever have the honor to do that, I, I think I'll do a backflip just because it's been an unbelievable uh, experience for me as a coach and learning from a lot of people. Um, you know, but I, I think it'd go back to what you and I have talked about a lot before. I think practice organization is the one area that when I have figured out how to maximize my, my time, uh, my teams have improved. My kids are more engaged in practices. The practices don't drag out. They're excited to come to the ballpark every day. Um, that to me is, is the big golden nugget that I found, um, you know, over the last years that helped me, obviously I'm extremely organized. Like most coaches I have a practice plan and, and we do all that stuff. You know, I took straight from Bush Chafin when he said, don't be a slave to the clock. And I've kind of adapted that to what we do, but I have it laid out. We're trying to focus on a few things each day, but, uh, kind of going back to what we said, work when you wait. Um, that's what I'm trying to make sure we don't have is I don't want people sitting around waiting. So even if we're doing just ground balls, the expectation is on every ground ball hit, the entire team is getting their prep step in. 
Um, the entire team is taking that first step towards the ball. Um, you know, when we're in the cages, we don't have guys sitting around and watching. We're just trying to be as engaged as possible. Um, and then if I was if I was able to ever present in that situation, I would have video galore because that to me, I love going to the ABCA. I'm front row, and I I probably don't leave uh, enough because I'm just I want to pick up something for everybody. But the presentations that I get the most out of are the ones that I get to sit down and and kind of see how it how how they do it. Um, so I think that's kind of where I the direction I'd go try to show uh, as much video as possible. But really going back to the original question. Just practice organization and getting the maximum amount, amount of effort out of each player. Um, I don't think, you know, again, going back to my early coaching days, you know, I'd have a two-and-a-half-hour practice and I'd walk away going, man, we didn't get a lot of work in. Now if I have a two-and-a-half-hour practice, a lot of times I'm like, man, we worked for way too long because we weren't as effective with our time. And what about you, Coach Art? Your, your presentation on the ABCA, this wonderful opportunity, what would you present and then give us a little snippet of it? It's kind of along the same lines as Ryan. It's going to be uh, about things that we do in practice. Um, and probably the the thing that, that the guys that played for me, you know, 10, 15 years ago, if, if they came to one of my practices today, the, the thing that they would, that they would probably be just surprised about, be like, wow, coach, why didn't we do more of that? Um, is, is to try to, you know, be, you know, just it'd be practicing at game speed, uh, to do as many things at game speed as possible, um, to make practice uncomfortable, um, and you know, just m- make practice more game like. And I think sometimes baseball coaches, especially, you know, twenty like when I started coaching, you know, my, my practices were not. I don't think they were very game like. I don't think there's a whole lot of. Uh, up, up tempo stuff and you know this is from coaching football I got to coach football with the, the on to me is, is a great great coaching staff and I learned so much about coaching coaching with them and our offensive coordinator played uh, quarterback for Gus Malzahn when he was uh, offensive coordinator at Tulsa and you know our varsity football practices you know when when you're in a a team offensive period in football, you know, traditionally, you know, the coach has got his play sheet there. He's got a script for practice. And, you know, he tells the quarterback what the play is. Quarterback calls the play. They go up the line of scrimmage. They run it and they huddle back up. And the second offense runs the same play or different. And it's just, you know, it's, it's huddling up kind of like, you know, you normally would in a game. Well, we ran Malzahn's up-tempo offense at, at Sherman high school and, when we when it was a team offensive period, um, we had the down we had the, the the chains out there. Coaches were signaling the plays. We had uh, the segment clock was now the twenty five second clock, and we're getting the play in. It's getting snapped at twenty two seconds on the play clock, just like we would in the game. We're pra- we're running our offense in practice exactly how we run it in the game. The defensive line coach would spot the football, and I mean, and it's just play after play after play after play after play, just like in a game. And and that kind of stuck with me like, man, we should practice baseball at game speed more. And, you know, there, you, know you always have to have time built in your practices for, 
for fundamentals. And fundamentals are, will always be important. But I, I found myself the last four, five, six years doing a lot more teamwork, a lot more team situational type stuff, but doing it at full speed. And and when we get into games, and, and, and there's failure. I mean, there, there's a lot of failure when we're doing those type of things, but there's a lot of failure in games too. And I don't want practice to be easy. Practice is, practice is my time. Practice is my time. You know, I'm, I'm running the practice. We're practicing. Uh, the, the, the coaches need to be very active at practice. The assistant coaches, the head coach, need to be very active at practice. That way in the game, see, here's where that trust and faith comes in. We've worked them hard in practice. We've made practice difficult. They failed at practice. We've retaught things at practice. Now in the game, I've got the trust. I've got the faith in them. And the game is their time. And, and that's when my voice needs to be, my, my voice needs to be a lot quieter in, in games and just let them play. That way they know I've got confidence in them. Um, you know, so I, I tell our kids, hey, practice is my time. Games are your time. And, you know, I have to have the trust and faith that we've prepared you to play. And when things go wrong in the game, and they're going to, I've just got to take notes and we've got to fix it the next day at practice. And, you know, so, so for me, that would, that's what my presentation would be about. Practicing at game speed, practice is coach's time, game's the kid's time. You know, I, I, I'm going to be, this practice is kind of going to revolve around me and the game needs to revolve around them. Game needs to be about them. People aren't coming to watch me. They're coming to watch the kids. Excellent stuff, guys. So we're starting to wrap it up. We're still going to stay on the baseball topic. But one of the questions we're going to ask now, and we'll start with you first this round, Coach Art, and it's take us to a game. You guys have done a great job breaking down what practice looks like, what are you guys' expectations for practice, the standard of practice, what your thoughts are going into practice planning. But let's go to the game aspect and then even the post-game. What are you watching during the game not just the game but what are the the little things you're looking for what are the things you may be talking to kids about what are the things you're anticipating thinking about charting and then the post game what do you usually want to wrap your your uh, post game huddle conversation about take us there coach art during the game um during the game, I'm going to be more focused on on strategy. Um, you know, our our kids our kids know what to look for. You know, we everyone needs to be watching the pitcher because if you watch the pitcher, he's going to tell you what he's going to throw. Um, you know, if you if you watch the opposing hitter, look how he sets up in the box, watch his swing. You know, if you see he's late, I should we shouldn't have to. I shouldn't have to yell out to my outfielders to move the opposite field. They see he's laid on a pitch. They should move themselves. Everyone should be moving. If if we've done our job in practice, we shouldn't have to say a lot in games. Um, you know, without without giving away like too many of our of our top secret stuff. Um, you know that that's that's kind of what we're looking for. You know, we're we're always watching the pitcher. Everyone's got their eyes on the pitcher. Uh, we, you know, we're, we're watching, we're watching, we try to start watching him when he's down.
And, and I just like, okay, well, if that's how you want to, if, if that's going to make you more confident somehow, fine, we won't, we won't tell you what's coming. But, uh, you know, we're, we're going to watch the pitcher. Um, you know, our, our infielder should be watching the hitter. Um, you know, just always, always be aware. Whatever, you know, keep your, uh, you know, our base runners need to, always, they need to know where the ball is. You know, I tell them, you got to keep your eye on the ball. Got to keep your eye on the ball. You got to know where the ball is. Um, don't ever have your head down on the bases. You know, your head's got to be up. You have to know where the ball is. Um, the, the, you know, that's, that's kind of what, where, where our focus is at in games. And what about you, Coach Canan? Take us to a game with your thoughts, what you're looking for, what you're seeing, the conversations you're having, your players' expectations. Take us there. Uh, I mean, for me, this kind of goes – I think I'm a lot like Art. I'm worrying more about, uh, you know, certain strategic things we're trying to get to. But uh, – and especially when, you know, you're by yourself, you don't have the time to kind of focus on a ton of things if we prepared in practice. But for me – it's always the uh, preparation to go on a bet. So, you know, on deck, you know, we have a four, four person process that they're getting ready to hit. And then of course the expectations, everyone to be on the, on the top step and the front of the dugout, you know, pay attention to the pitcher, just like uh, kind of art said, but that's a quick check for me. If the guys that are uh, on deck in the hole and then, you know, four back are not doing what we're expected to do or whatever, that's an easy check-in for me. Um, you know, just making sure we're involved in the game and talking uh, on the bench, but it's hard to do that. Uh, a lot of the little stuff like that in game, just because you're trying to focus on, you know, what's in front of you. It's hard to see the big picture when you're by yourself. Um, you know, in terms of meeting during the game or in the dugout or whatever, you know, my main thing there is we're just trying to reinforce positivity. Uh, when a kid makes an error or, you know, they strike out, they don't need anyone to tell them they did that. They already know. Um, they just need someone to kind of be there to, to pick them up. Not to say there's never a time to, kick a kid in the pants either, but um, I think that's kind of one thing I've changed. Um, post-game, I, I guess I, I completely changed the way I did post-game when I heard uh, Tim Corbin at ABCA talk about his post-game, and it was basically he doesn't talk to the kids after the game's over. Uh, he needs to go decompress and go over the game, so I'm sure I'm like most coaches. I have a note, you know, a note card in my back pocket or a lineup card that I have a note section on it, and I'm making notes throughout the game of stuff that uh, we didn't execute or things that, um, you know, I want to work on a practice the next day or whatever. So after the game's over, all I really do is meet and say, here's a schedule for tomorrow. See you tomorrow. And the first thing that we do the next day is go over the game. Uh, it allows them to decompress too. Um, a lot of times, you know, we just haven't had time to step back and do it. I, I go home, I watch the film, make sure what I wrote down or what I saw in the moment is actually what happened. Um, again, we get involved in the moment, just like the kids. And sometimes our recollection of what happened may not actually be what happened, uh, when we slow it down and take a step back. So I think that's one thing I definitely changed completely from when I was young coach to now is the post game stuff. That's fascinating. So we'll wrap up the podcast right here with this question. I typically like to end the podcast with, and we'll start with you first this round coach Canan. you get this beautiful new clubhouse. You get anything you want, but the only stipulation is that you're only allowed to hang a sign with a quote. And this is the only quote that the players are allowed to see every single day. What sign would that quote read for your players to read every day? 
Um, I think it would be on the door heading out from the uh, clubhouse to the field. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of variations of the quote. I know you can throw your team name in there, but um, basically it'd say something along the lines of, if you're not prepared to put the team first, uh, then turn around and go back. Um, because ultimately that's what we're trying to do. R says, if you're not prepared to be a wolf, because that's our, lo- that's our uh, mascot um, at Davenport. But I think that would be the one. Uh, I know quotes, we all have tons of them we like to go to. Um, again, a shift in my philosophy. I think I, I was an over-quoter when I first started my career. And the, the older I've gotten, the simpler I've tried to make approaches for everything, including when it comes to that type of stuff. So um, I think that would be the one for me, which would be on the door heading out that way, just to kind of reinforce what we're trying to do that day and and uh, maybe hopefully help them reset before they hop on the field. We'll wrap it, right he, wrap it up right here with you, Coach Art. What would that quote read for your players to read every day? Attitude, approach, intensity, and toughness. A-A-I-T. That's what, that's what we're all about every day, everything we do on the field, in the weight room, in the classroom, in the community. Your attitude, your approach, your intensity, and your toughness. That's, that's who we are.